You want to be in Psalm 23 with me? We have been working through uh, this incredible psalm. Uh, What a blessing it has been already. Uh, And uh, many of us have found comfort and solace in this psalm. And so I want to do the same thing we did last week as we just stood together and read. Now that you just sat down, would you stand with me? And let's read Psalm 23 together aloud uh, from your Bible as we work toward making this part of our life. Because I've learned that if I'm trying to memorize something, uh, there, uh, this, the Psalm, uh, or it's a lot easier to memorize it when I'm standing. And so let's do that. Psalms chapter 23 as we read this aloud together. Psalm 23 and go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And God's people said, Father, we bow before you this evening. We thank you for this beautiful psalm, this psalm that has brought comfort to hurting and grieving hearts, but a psalm that also, Lord, uh, brings encouragement to your people today. And so we are thankful for it. We're thankful for the circumstances in which it was written. We're thankful for the fact that your Holy Spirit knew what to write and when to write and who to write it through. And so may you, God, just uh, use this text, Lord, and uh, each each phrase, each part, may it become part of our lives so that when we are in the valley, we know that you are with us. We thank you, God, for your goodness and lead us, we pray, tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. As we come back to Psalms 23 tonight, I'm thankful that we can find great comfort from this text during our time of grief. But it's not just designed uh, for times of grief. And at, at funerals, it's very common for pastors to read Psalm 23 because there is a lot of comfort there. And we can, we can find a lot of solace there whenever we are hurting. But Psalm 23 is not just for those times of loss. Psalms 23 focuses on what the Lord offers us throughout all of our days not just in those times of death. So as last week, we began to look at just the very first phrase of the first verse, the Lord is my shepherd. And I hope that he's your shepherd tonight. Is he your shepherd? Amen. Amen. Then I want to share with you some, some truths about what this next phrase means, I shall not want. What a great promise from God. Uh, what a great uh, hope that we have because we don't have any lack You know, see, uh, if you could just picture with me this young shepherd, David, lying on his back, maybe staring into the sky or out gazing over this uh, herd of sheep as he was there and he just saw them and he was pondering all the great things about God. And although this psalm may have been written later in his life, those memories and those, uh, those truths about God never changed in his life. And he found him as sufficient as, as the one that would carry him through the battle of the bear, the same one that would carry him through the battle of Goliath. You see, he found that God was ever faithful in his life. And that's where, as he writes these things, he is saying, listen, as a shepherd, I want you to know uh, that God is just like that good shepherd. He's just like that faithful shepherd. He's just like that one that carries us through in our times of hurt, in our times of need. He's the one that carries us through in our times of goodness. Amen? 
All of those things we can find in Him a good and faithful shepherd. If we were to consider the man that God used to pen this psalm, I would have to say that David knew what it was to have hardships. Yet God inspired him to write these incredibly powerful words, I shall not want. So let's look at this very first thing. How do we can be contented in God's care? Find that word, that, that, that source of contentment. The word want, he, he says here, and I shall not want, is, as, as used here, has a broader meaning than maybe you can first be imagined. Uh, no doubt the main concept is that of not lacking, okay? I'm not, you're not deficient in anything. You have proper care. Your management of your life is good. You're, like the husbandry has been cared for. But a second emphasis is, is being implied here as well, and that's being utterly contented in the good shepherd's care, and as a result, not craving or desiring anything more. Let me just say that again. This idea is more than just not lacking, but it's finding con complete contentment in the good shepherd's care and not craving or having any desires for anything more. To, that is, so, so for him to be able to make this bold statement, I shall not want, and to say that the owner and then who says that is perfectly content with the lot that God has given him in life. And so let me, let me just talk a little bit about David. We did a little bit last time, but I want to reflect a little bit more on his life. Because as we look at the Word of God, we also want to understand the circumstances and, and a little bit about the author as they write it, uh, so we can understand a little bit more about the practical application for our life today. If we think on the physical or the material things about David's life, and if we look at his life, we, we would be... Maybe we would hard, be hard-pressed to find someone like David saying, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In his life, he'd been belittled by his brothers, if you remember. Been forgotten by his father. Oh yeah, there's David, he's out in the fields. You know, but surely you want one of the other brothers, you don't want David. He was hounded by his king. He was threatened by his son. He suffered loss of at least three children. His inner family turmoil uh, was made public for everyone to view. Imagine that. Talking about having your laundry out for everyone to see. There were times when he was on the backside of the wilderness, when he was running for his life, and he was living in a cave. Let me just say, that's the short list. He was obviously a man who had known what it was to, be, uh, to go through intense privation. He knew what it was to go through poverty and hardship and anguish of spirit. And we see this reflected in many of the Psalms that God used him to pen. And, and yet God used him to write this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is obviously more than just the physical, the material things of life. Uh, but as an American, you, know, you notice that we often, we cling to and we think of first and primarily the material things. You know, I, I, as uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want for bread. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want for uh, the house payment that's coming up. Uh, th those are the things that we, we typically dwell upon. Unfortunately, that's not exactly what God intended here and I want to share with you something greater than just the physical, the material, or financial things that we often think about when we read, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because I want you to consider this, and we've got to, we've got to balance this with Scripture, because as we look other, at other great men of God, they also, also suffer great privation. For example, uh, we would do well to examine great men like Elijah. 
Elijah, who was a prophet of God and, and suffered greatly, or maybe Jeremiah the prophet, who was called the weeping prophet, who spent time in the bottom of a pit, whose life was threatened, or maybe John the Baptist, who clothed themselves in camel skins. Can you imagine? I hope they were cured well. Or, or, maybe, uh, or maybe Jesus Christ himself. Thank you, Josiah. Maybe Daniel. Or maybe we could look at modern men of the faith, maybe like David Livingstone, who was willing to suffer greatly for the cause of Christ. And he left everything that was comfortable in London and left all of his, uh, the things that he had accomplished there and was willing to, to go into the, the depths of Africa to find the source of the Nile so, he that, so that he could have a purpose to share the gospel with those in that country so that he could have a purpose of helping to end the slave trade in, uh, of Africa. And this list could go on and on and on as we reflect and those who have followed the Lord have not always experienced great wealth. They've not always experienced great financial security, but what they've always experienced is a faithful God. And that's what David is dealing with here. And so let's look at very quickly a biblical model. Because as we, we think about this from our American mindset, I want to kind of change that a little bit if we can. And as we look at Psalms 23, let's look at it through the lens of Scripture and see that God is always faithful. Think about Brother Maurice Young and some of the things that he went through early in those early years on the, the mission field and all the things that God took him through. And, and I remember Pastor would tell me oftentimes, that was a guy I never thought would make it because he had so many uh, children, seven children. And he said, I never thought he'd make it. But what a wonderful, wonderful lasting legacy God allowed him to establish there in Taiwan. And I hope uh, we can, as a church, be there to support this dear family on May 15th. And encourage them. But it's the biblical model that Christ demonstrated when he was on the earth. Matter of fact, when one approached him with a desire to follow him, he said this in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20. Jesus said unto him, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He said, This life is not always the life of ease or security. His life was not always the life that had those comforts that we have today. You know, uh, if you think about it, Christ never owned His own home here on the earth. He simply trusted the Heavenly Father in this area. And He demonstrated for us the reality of knowing the Lord is my shepherd. He stated to us in John 16, These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. Why? Because in the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, folks. Listen, I have overcome the world. And he wasn't saying, well, we might be okay, folks. Uh, no, he's, there's great confidence in that statement. He's saying, listen, we don't have to worry. And there may be times of difficulty, and there may be times where we're going through hardships, but the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall never want. I'm not going to want for anything. In this world, the promises will be full of troubles. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. There will be heartaches. There will be difficulties. But there is the promise that when the Lord is our shepherd, oh, we will overcome these things. In the book of Revelation, God rebuked the church in Laodicea because they were rich. They knew what it was to be wealthy. They knew what it was to have uh, many things. The Bible says you, you were rich, you were full. They didn't trust God. They trusted their, their, uh, their riches. They trusted in their bank accounts. They trusted in the economy, and they trusted in these things. And as a result, their faith was lukewarm. 
It wasn't hot. It wasn't cold. And he says in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17, Because thou sayest, I am rich and am increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Oh, what a sad testimony. Oh, what a sad thing that they had increased in all the worldly goods and they'd missed the thing that could give them a source of contentment that was richer than anything else, and that is only found in the Lord. And so he, he calls them to a warning. And he calls them to listen to a piece of counsel in the next verse. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. He says, white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve that thou mayest see. You know what he was saying? He said, trade in these worldly goods for something that's eternal. Trade in all this, all this stuff that you see that seems so wonderful and glamorous and it's attractive. And if you watch commercials today, I tell you, you've got to have that thing that they're talking about. I remember as a kid, we'd watch commercials. I'd watch commercials just to see what I wanted for Christmas. I didn't need it. I was just looking for something to ask Santa Claus for. You know, sometimes we can be the same way. Boy, that, that new Hummer. Have you seen that electric Hummer? Boy, you look at that, fall down out of the sky and hits the pavement and everything crashes. And you're like, oh, yeah. I didn't need it before I watched that commercial, but now I need it. Listen, he says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. At 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he deals with this, and he says those things that will go through the fire, that will last, that will be eternal, not these things in the riches of this world that, that, uh, that will be burned up in the fire, but something that will last for eternity. He says, listen, these are the things that really can give you the source of contentment, and that comes through Jesus Christ. You see, when Christ was approached by a rich young ruler, he was in, interested in following Jesus. And he said, man, what must I do? Look at all the good things I've done. Look at my bank account. And during that time, you have to understand, and, and we do the same thing. It is easy for us to equate material blessings with I'm on the right path with God. And so he was doing the same. And so Mark chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus looks at him and he says, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. You see, Jesus' response to him was, listen, these things that your heart are so burdened for, these things that so consume you, forsake those things and come and follow me only. That was Christ's answer. His answer was to, to just uh, to, to leave these things behind and to put on just to have this focus, this desire for the shepherd. The sad testimony is, if you read the next verses, this man went away sorrowful because his love for riches of this world was far greater than the love he had for God. When David penned this part of Psalms 23, David wasn't referring to material or physical poverty. He was looking at the riches of God's grace and mercy. And so that even when my pockets are empty, we can claim I am full. Amen. Now I want you to just briefly look at this thought, the shepherd in command. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. And I just, I just want us to dwell on that for a moment. So to grasp the, really the significance of this simple statement, it is necessary 
to understand the dif difference between belonging to one master or another master. Do you belong to the good shepherd or do you belong to an imposter? Let me just say there's just room for one in our life. And so throughout, our, throughout his ministry, Jesus Christ took great pains to point out to anyone who contemplated following him that it was impossible to serve two masters. Matter of fact, in this famous Sermon on the Mount, we find that Christ uh, instructs the disciples in what they should really be concerned about. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 through and following, he says, No man can serve two masters, for either, either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And then he says in the next verse, Therefore I say unto you, take not, uh, no thought for your life. What is he talking about? The material things, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on, is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Later in verse 33, he says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of these other material things. I'm your shepherd. I will take care of you. I'll provide for you. I'll give you everything you need. You know, practically, I'll point out that we too face this decision on a regular basis. In a society that celebrates sin, in a society that's antagonistic towards God, we find that we often must make the decision whom will we serve? Sports, which once was careful to work around church services, they schedule practices and games on Sundays and tournaments on Sundays or Wednesday programs. And let me just ask, who will we serve? Our favorite TV programs are on, but I tell you what, church conflicts with that. But whom will we serve? This list could go on and on and on, but you get the point. We cannot serve both. We must choose whom we will serve. This reminds me of Joshua. Joshua in the Old Testament. Man, I just love Joshua. One of my favorite, two of my favorite Bible characters are Joshua and David, which is why Joshua David is Joshua David. I do too. But Joshua was such a valiant leader and a great man of God. And as he led those children of Israel, he made some mistakes. But I tell you, he really seemed to purpose in his life that, listen, we're going to serve the Lord. And he stood up with those men and he gathered the elders of the land. And there, as they were settling in the land of Israel, that Canaan, that promised land, they said, we finally arrived, we're finally here. And he gathered them all together as he was getting on in years, maybe about 90 years old, as he gathered them together. And he gave them this long speech. And in the midst of that, we find a, a verse that you probably have posted in your house, or at least a portion of it. It says in Joshua 24, 15, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you, you dwell. But as for me, as for my house, we will serve the Lord. Man, there needs to be a, 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 just another line drawn on the sand and, pass, and, and dads stand up and say, listen, we live in a society that's morally bankrupt today, but as for me and my house, we're going to stand over here and we're going to serve the Lord because the Lord is my shepherd. Listen, Joshua made his choice. He said, there is only room for one in my house and we choose God. But we see that this shepherd... He takes good care of us, doesn't he? When all is said and done, the welfare of any flock is entirely dependent upon the management afforded to them by the owner. 
What do I, what do I mean by that? Have you ever passed through the community and the country here? I, I love to, uh, Pastor and I used to, in 2006, I first came on staff of the church, and I went everywhere with him. I permanently damaged the, the handhold in his dashboard from riding with him, uh, from gripping so tight. But we went everywhere. Well, we, were, we were all over the place, and it was such a joy to be with him in those, in those days. But we would pass by farms, and you would see uh, these, these fields, and they were just, you could see that the cows had just worn the grass down that it was that big. There was piles of processed grass laid everywhere in the pastures. Try to be a little bit couth tonight, okay? But I remember Pastor Tolbert would say, boy, they just overrun that field. They just, they just, over, they just overgraze that field. You fast by and you notice the grounds are overgrazed. Maybe the fields are full of weeds and thistles. The pounds are full of scum. There was, maybe there's no barn to protect them from the weather. Perhaps the babies look sickly laying out in the field covered in that processed grass. And you look and you think, what a selfish owner. Maybe this seems so callous, so indifferent. Maybe he doesn't care. But you know, that's exactly the picture of those taskmasters of sin and Satan. They scoff at the plight of those in their care. They don't care if the sheep are cared for in the least and doesn't care if bones are showing. They don't care if the weak, uh, the weak are bleeding, uh, begging for food. They don't care for those things. They have no power. There's no hope there. They, the sin and Satan don't care. They're a terrible taskmaster. See, the difference in people's lives is not the condition of the field as it is, is in the one that is in control. This person can make all the difference in their life and in what's ahead for them. Some of the wealthiest men in the world may seem successful on the outside. They may, their spirit, uh, they may have everything they want. They put on a great smile. They've got that literally $100,000 smile from all the implants and everything else they have done. And boy, they just look great on the outside, but inside their spirit is poor, they're disheveled, they're withered, their life is unhappy, they are joyless, and they're trapped in the iron grip and the heartless ownership of the wrong master. But then there's another master. There's one that is called the Good Shepherd. That's the one that Psalms 23 is written about. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you know, and by contrast, you can be poor, you can know disaster, you can know what it is to struggle financially, but because you belong to Jesus Christ, you re you've recognized him for the good shepherd. And there, I'll tell you, there's a difference in the life. They are controlled by a peace that passes all understanding. It's not based on circumstances, but on the one in which we trust. For this is the one that is the good shepherd. He brings a, a quiet confidence that no matter the circumstance, he is always faithful. So where does contentment come from? Well, I'll just say that contentment is anchored in our shepherd. Contentment should be the hallmark of every man uh, of, of God. Any man who has put his affairs in the hands of God, any man who, who just trusts in the Lord as their Savior, contentment should be the hallmark of your life and of my life. But while Americans grow richer, they grow more and more discontented. One of the unhappiest people in the world are Americans. Isn't that, isn't that sad? But it's a, it's a realization that money and happiness don't go hand in glove. But when we put our faith in the Lord, 
And when we trust in Him as the real head of my life, as that shepherd, then we enjoy greater and greater contentment. Let me ask you to probe your heart tonight. Am I completely satisfied with His management of my life? Are you satisfied with the Lord's management in your life? Listen, we can say yes with full assurance of that, of, on that question. And when we can, we'll find that he, uh, he is the sheep man. He is the shepherd to whom no trouble is too great as He cares for you. He's the owner that truly delights in His flock. For God, there is no greater satisfaction than that of seeing His sheep contented, the, the sheep well-fed, seeing His sheep safe and flourishing under His care. So that's why Jesus said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. That's the Lord we serve tonight. That's the one who, who inspired David on that, uh, that hillside with these thoughts. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's the one that though he went through all of these hardships and, and you know, some commentators believe that David wrote this as he was fleeing from Absalom. And in, in this moment, he had gone through much trial and much tribulation. He was running from his son. He, he, he had, was, had faced uh, the loss of children and the loss of, uh, of uh, and, and done great sin. And, and I tell you, he lost the kingdom and all kinds of different things. And yet he found the Lord was good. Someone wrote this about what it means to be a good shepherd. They said, From early dawn until late at night, this utterly selfless shepherd is alert to the welfare of his flock. For the diligent sheepman rises early and goes out first thing every morning without fail to look over his flock. It is the initial, intimate contact of the day. And with a practiced eye, searching, sympathetic eye, he examines the sheep to see if they are fit and content and able to be on their feet. In an instant, he can tell if they have been molested during the night, whether any are ill, or if there are some that require special attention. And repeatedly throughout the day, he casts his eye over the flock to make sure that all is well. Nor even at night is he oblivious to their needs. He sleeps, as it were, with one eye and both ears open, ready at the last sign of, or excuse me, ready at the least sign of trouble to leap up and to protect his own. This is the picture of Christ, the Good Shepherd. And when we speak of contentment, it's defined as, uh, as a state of mind in which one's desires confined to his lot, whatever it may be. And this is, this is what God, God says in the Bible about contentment. For example, there is great gain when we choose to have an, a contented heart. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, in verse number 6, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. You, know, you can, you can uh, have a, a walk with the Lord but not find your source of contentment in here in Him and you're going to find, find yourself lacking. But when you can come to God and say, God, I'm content in the place where I'm at. I'm content with the things that I have because you are my shepherd. You're the leader. You're the one that provides. You're the one that cares for me. I want to mention that contentment is the opposite of envy. James chapter 3 and verse 16, he says, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Boy, if you take a moment and contemplate to that truth, you'll realize there's a lot of truth to that. And in a generation where we're raising children who are entitled, I'll tell you, that's dangerous. May we be willing to say, God, help me to find my source of contentment. Help me to know what it is 
Lord, to be satisfied in you. Because where this comes from is not in those things, but in the inward trust, that inward reliance on the sufficiency of God. Do you serve a God who can? Do we serve a God who is able? Because when we can, we, we can confidently say in the midst of the trial, listen, my God is able. Well, I love uh, the other day, uh, we were just visiting. Uh, can I share the story about the dump truck? Okay. I was visiting with Brother Steve yesterday, and, and we, were, we were talking about his dump trucks, and he was having some issues with his dump trucks, and, uh, and they thought it was a transmission. And I'm just going to share that one, if that's all right. And I just love this story. And, and he, said, he said, Pastor, you don't understand. He said, uh, we just thought knew it was a transmission. So we knew it was going to be big money. And so we took it uh, to the shop. And, and on the way there, I told my son, you know, we've just got to praise the Lord. We've just got to say, Lord, you're, you're able, you're sufficient in this. And so we praise you for this. And so they dropped off the truck. And the next day or whenever, they, they called him and said, it wasn't the transmission, it's the rear end. Well, if you don't know much as, as much about trucks, maybe, as, as, or as much as I do, then you don't know if that means good or bad. But that means good. Good financially, especially, because a rear end's a whole lot cheaper than a transmission. And so he said, and so he told his son, he said, listen, that's why we praise God. This is what God brought about, because we were willing to just praise God in the storm, praise God when it's, when it's good, when it's bad. We're just going to choose to praise God. That is trusting in the sufficiency of our almighty God. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. One of the, one of the most wonderful books of the Bible is the book of Philippians. Actually, you could say all 66 are wonderful books of the Bible, uh, but, you know, when I'm talking about them, I, I just want to build them up. But Philippians is one of those unique books because we find a, a theme that just resounds so strongly in the heart of the Apostle Paul. And that was simply rejoice. And when we know the circumstances and we know the hardships and we know what he's going through, we know the circumstance, the circumstance of, of what he, when he is writing, then we're able to say, wow, if he can find a source of strength, a source to rejoice, and he can say, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice, then God help me also to be able to rejoice as well. I love what F.B. Meyer wrote in his commentary on the book. He said, if we would find contentment, let us go to the homes where women are crippled with rheumatism or dying of cancer, where comforts are few, where long hours of loneliness are not broken by the intrusion of friendly faces, where the pittance of public charity hardly suffices for necessary need to say nothing of comfort. It is there that contentment reveals itself like a shy flower. How often in the homes of the wealthy one uh, the, the wealthy one has missed it, just to find it in the homes of the poor. How often is it wanting where health is buoyant to be discovered where disease is wearing out the strength? So it was with the apostle, who was in the saddest part of his career, bound to the Roman soldier, enclosed in some narrow apartment, in touch with only a few friends who made an effort to discover him, away from the happy scenes of earlier years, and anticipating Nero's bar, bar he, he breaks out into these glorious expressions of equanimity. He had learned how to be abased in the valley of the shadow. He wore the flower heartsease in his buttonhole. Man, what an incredible statement. He knew what it was to suffer, but to be content. 
Do you trust Him to be your shepherd? Is He your good shepherd tonight? In spite of having such a shepherd, the fact remains that too many Christians are still not content with Him having control. Sometimes we get dissatisfied. We always feel like maybe the grass is always greener on the other side. And may I just say, these are, we're carnal Christians when we are like that. I remember as a kid I, down in Texas, we raised a lot of cattle in Texas. And uh, down there, I, I just remember looking at the, them old cattle. And, and, and we had some good ranchers in our area. And the fields would be green where they had taken care of them and they weren't overgrazed and they just looked beautiful. And you'd see the grass in the springtime was just beautiful, green, tall, up to the knee, your knee. And that old cow would be pushing on the fence, trying to get the weeds out of the ditch. You know, sometimes we have this same mentality. We think, well, if I could just get that, then things will be better. And if I could just be there, then things would be a little better. Let me just say that when we find our source of contentment, then, then we realize that we have the, the shepherd who's provided the green grass. And we have the shepherd who leads us beside the still waters. And we have the shepherd who restores the soul. We have the shepherd who leads us in paths of righteousness. Sake. We have the shepherd that walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. We have the shepherd who prepares a table before me. We have the shepherd who anoints our head with oil. We have the shepherd who, who is the good shepherd, and we can truly say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You see, which shepherd do you follow? The problem today is not that we have a shepherd that doesn't care. We've seen the provision of God, haven't we? We've seen His care for your life. The problem is that we have learned to find a source and we have not learned to find our source in him, uh, of contentment in Him alone. So Paul wrote to that young preacher, and I've shared with you verse 6, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, and it goes on, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content." Later in the book of Hebrews, we learn how we can have contentment in Hebrews 13, 5. To let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And the next verse says, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. You see, the Lord is all we need. May we tonight... May those that maybe are seeking the things of this world to fill the desires of your heart be willing to, to instead find sufficiency in Christ alone. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want.